episode two of season two of We've Been Had, which is now a song-by-song walk through the songs of St. Vincent. I don't think that's ever going to, that's never going to flow right. Well, so you've conditioned me after season one to be anticipating some pithy, like, (laughs) fake title of the show, and and, now I'm on my heels. We'll get back to that. Okay. There'll be fake titles again. Um, I am Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad Cook. And uh, yeah, we are here tonight to uh, to restore the regular order. After last time's look at the entire album of Marry Me, this time we're slipping into the usual format, three songs at a time, starting with the first three songs on St. Vincent, Vincent's second album, Actor. Songs are The Strangers, Save Me From What I Want, and The Neighbors. Yeah, I... Th- thought just start out talking about you know the album in general like yeah should we, i mean should we touch on the fact that it was at least partially recorded in a converted funeral home i so i didn't see that part i saw that it was uh that like she used garage band as a recording tool for the early stages which made me happy i didn't see the funeral home bit. yeah elmwood recording studio that's in dallas man. former funeral home i could see that i you know, nice quiet space. You probably have some soundproofing at a funeral home. Nice and good yeah. atmosphere. I mean, it's it's unusual, but yeah. it, it's kind of cool. Yeah, I think that's pretty rad. Uh, yeah, so actor is the uh, it's the follow up album to her solo debut, "Marry Me." Like a lot of second albums, it had big it had a troubled production process even before the funeral home showed up. Um, she scrapped and re-recorded big chunks of it. Co-produced with a guy named John Congleton, who has... Like, I looked at his credits, and the guy has worked with a lot of people, but I didn't really come into this with any sense of, like, ooh, it's a John Congleton joint. It sounds like the guy in uh, Game of Thrones that they totally wrote <laughs> off on the show as part of the Dorn part. John Connington? Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. HBO just just read that I'm like nope don't need this <laughs> we can't, we can't work any naked women into this so slice like Mary Me Annie Clark is credited with most of the core instruments here um, except for drums which we'll get into later and then a bunch of collaborators are brought in for strings and woodwinds and such no more Mike Garson piano uh, this was released in 2009 on 4 AD which I still, like, I was never, like, a super, like, I got to follow this label. But to me, 4AD is always like, oh, it's the Pixies label. All right, Pixies. Um, yeah, I wonder, so I wonder, 2009, like, how important was your label in 2009? I, so that's a thing that I was, like, I was thinking about that just today. Like, this led into that. that like, I feel like this album came out at this, like, transitional point where people still thought that it mattered. And, you know, like, I, it matters some now, but so much less than it, you know, like now that... Because, I mean, it used to be that, like, different labels cater to different sounds. Yeah. And, and different, so if you'd go see a band, like, uh, I remember, I think sometimes, I think it was the 90s, we went to see Pavement play at First Avenue, and they had a bunch of opening acts who were also on Matador Records. Yeah. So, like, you would kind of, you you'd kind of get to know the... The style that they liked yeah. in a or, certain label. You know, there'd be Sub Pop followers or Kill Rock Stars followers or Twin Town followers or Twin Tone followers at one point. Like, I just, I feel like that's dead zone It's kind now. of a thing of the past, yeah. really. I mean, what, when what does I, your label do for you at this point? They front you money to record if, you know, if they're big enough to do that, and then they market and distribute. But distribution, you know, like, it's just... So, like, what's distribution now, though? Is it, I mean, is... If you are... Like, you're the guy that calls the electric fetus and is like, hey there, I've got the <laughs> got this hot pressing. That's pretty much it, yeah. Like, that and, like, so when I, when I recorded that EP earlier this year, I decided I wanted to have it on Spotify just to have it on Spotify. And I had to pay, like, 15 bucks with some... With an independent distributor service to put it up there, um, and if you you know if you have a label, they'll do that, and you don't have to pay fifteen bucks. But you're not going to get any money either way. <laughs> like, 
Um, but I mean, I think back in like the mall days when people would go to Musicland for for their music, maybe there was more. Like your label, if they gave you a push, they could, or, or even Best Buy, I yeah. guess they could, they could market you in such a way that you got the end cap or something. That totally. Could, yeah. I mean, there was this entirely different. Well, and just the physical distribution, until pretty recently, like physical distribution wasn't this like small time sideshow thing. It was the thing, and so it was this huge thing. If you could have a company that could press your CDs and get them out, and you know, physically truck them to Best Buy. I also I think like recording has gotten so much cheaper that the uh, the business with them bankrolling you you know like that used to matter. It's still important, but it's you know you can get the job done a lot more cheaply now. And you can lay a lot of the groundwork with GarageBand. Yeah. And then just sort of clean it up when you get to the studio. Yeah. Oh, it's it's great. So before we get too far into this, I yeah. want to. I want to read you the original, an excerpt from the original Pitchfork review of this album. Okay. And you just let me know when you feel like the casual sexism gets too much for you. I should know that the, the review of the music was very positive. I just, I feel like the wording is, it, it is a little troubling. So here we go. You ready? Yeah, hit me. On the covers of both of her albums, her wide eyes and porcelain features give her the appearance of a cartoon princess come to life. And in the songs contained therein, she sings with, a me- with the measured, patient tones of a benevolent maternal authority figure. It gets worse. The thing that separates Clark from any number of Earth Mother Lilifair types, however, is her eagerness to subvert that effect. Pitchfork, 2009. I want you to take a quick look at item number three on my show notes. <laughs> that uh, uh, Matt Perpetua, I think, was the guy that wrote that. Like, yeah. uh, what a dick! Like, I legit get none of this, right? Like, like, what the hell is a Lilith Fair type? It's like, it's like uh, a lady singing alternative rock? Yeah, you know, like, I I still, like, you know, I talked about it last week, and I don't want to, like, beat this into the ground, but I, I continually feel low-level bad that I, when I was younger, I know that I took music by women less seriously. Um, you know, just not consciously, but it was definitely a thing that was happening in my head. And I read shit like this, and I'm like, well, no, I mean, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, like... There's this entire system priming you to be like, oh, well, a woman with a guitar, why isn't she a Lilith fair? <laughs> it's just like, did you listen to the album? Like, that's, I guess that's my beef with it. It's yeah. kind of like, it's like where they had to invent a genre called Riot Girl because we yeah. couldn't say that women were performing punk rock. Right. Like, I mean, what the hell? That I, yes. It, it, I guess it makes me happy that we both zeroed in on that and we're like, fuck you, pal. I read that and my my jaw just dropped. Yes. Like, like, I mean, first of all, you know, and I'll get off my soapbox here in a second, but I mean, how many male artists have albums with their picture on it and no one would ever write this shit about it? No. Beck just dropped a new album. <laughs> now, he might look like a cool stoner dad on the cover, but I, know, I can't even do it. I can't even fake it. So. I, I was amazed that uh, it, it sounds like it was written in like 1950. Right. This is 2009. It's not that, that long not ago. That long ago. <sighs> yeah. That and, guy. Whew. Yep. Um, so with that, I want to get into the songs. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. All right. <laughs> Okay, so song one, The Strangers, uh, opens ethereally and then gets kind of ethereal electronic. What do you think? So I kind of like it because it's it's got kind of, uh, ethereal is a good word for it. I wrote Peter Pan slash fantasy, yeah. uh, which I think ethereal is what I meant by that. But I do like that one of the things that she does that's really cool is just drops an atomic bomb guitar part yeah. after the third verse. That's, you know, like, if you've got that in your pocket, you got to bring that out. 
I just love that. I love that juxtaposition of where we start with a, a kind of a soft melodic song with really dark lyrics. Yeah. And then out of nowhere, we just throw in this just just scorching guitar. Riff. Well, and the thing I love about that, I I flagged that too. That it like it, it at first it seems like oh, there's like this little guitar part trying to find its way in, and it just spends you know like. 10 seconds like going like yeah just making these little parts that come in and then you know so like it just it feels like it's like worming its way in worming its way in, and then boom and like i don't know that that's such a cool way to do it it just it, it works with for me with the song because it like it, it it's these really you know, it's it's sung in a really soft and melodic way but it's these really dark lyrics about about somebody who's clearly having a shit day right like, yeah. <laughs> Like, you know, I threw flowers in your face on my sister's wedding day. Like, you know, people are generally reasonably well-behaved on yeah. wedding days. So, like, you have to be extra, yeah. you know, as the Canadians say, honked off. <laughs> to, uh, or is it honked on? I think it's off. Off. To, uh, it's no. better to be honked off than honked on. Yeah, yeah, saying it out loud, it sounds like something dirty, but <laughs> I don't think that's the way it's intended. No, I, but yeah, I agree. Um, that just, that, it's weird because this starts out, the opening sounds like something on Marry Me, you know, it's like that same, like, kind of ethereal, like, fussy thing. And then just the guitar, distorted guitar coming in, like, says, like, there's something else happening here. And then, you know, the lyrics have this different mood. I... So the vocal melody she sings reminds me, this is weird, but it really strongly... Reminds me of uh, this song, Those Were the Days, which I... Do you know this one? It's, like, from 1968. It's by this woman, Mary Hopkin. And uh, just, like, you got to look this up. Yeah. Uh, it, it, she, like, sings this weird, stiff voice. She's like, Those were the days, my friend, we thought they'd... Okay, so I have heard that Yeah, song. it's yeah. fucking weird. Um, but some of the vocal melodies are really similar to the vocal melodies here. Yeah, you know, again, not saying like she ripped this off, but like it's, uh, it, it reminds me enough to be interesting, I guess. So, do you think the, do you think the refrain in this song, the paint the black hole blacker, is like, is like her version of this amp goes to eleven? I think so. Yeah. I also so the thing with that, where where's my note about this? Is this going to be some drawn out physics explanation about how there's actually no light in the black hole? No. Okay. No. No. Um, we we could go into that, but uh, no, let's not. Um, no. So I think it's interesting. Like she sings like this regular vocal melody, and then like comes in singing against herself in a different voice. You know, like with different, like hitting different times, singing about black holes, and that is weirdly prefigurative of um, Black Star on you know the song Black Star on the mm -hmm. album Black. Star. Uh, to the point where, like, I always assume Bowie was, you know, like, Black Star sounds like he's singing about a black hole. Um, you know, and, like, I'm not saying he's ripping her off, but it, it's so similar that it's just fascinating to me that either either he did hear that and was like, oh, yes, I'm going to borrow that, or they just, you know, maybe they just have these, like, parallel musical minds that evolved this weirdly parallel thing. I don't know. It's weird. Yeah, shit. that's a good, that's a good question. I guess I'd never thought about it like that um, because she clearly, well, I mean, maybe it's not clear. Maybe it's just a coincidence, but she did bring in one of Bowie's piano players on the last album. Yeah, you know, I mean, and I mean, like, it's just there's no doubt, you know, no doubt whatsoever that she was aware of him. He was, he had to have been aware of her. I'm sure. Just you know, his reputation for being up on music as it was happening until he died um i don't know it's too bad he's dead we could ask him i think you and i would have trouble getting a hold of david bowie <laughs> yes i mean i just you know, i mean they're probably they're probably minor league musicians that we we'd have a an outside shot of getting a hold no. of i think bowie bowie's a little, maybe a little out of our stratosphere i think so his 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 producer tony visconti is pretty visible online i think like if you really made a 
concerted effort you could get to Tony Visconti. And you still could, so maybe we should just start bothering him. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he'd love that. We're, you know, like, <laughs> hey, can we ask you some questions about your dead friend? That's not weird, right? Uh, uh, me again? No, I, uh, sorry, I don't know. You didn't. You never replied last time. Maybe you're busy. Let me let me just let me run these by you again. Um, yeah. Oh, so we talked a little bit already about the way the song starts out. Starts out electric, ethereal. Then around two twenty, it drums, big drums and guitar come in, and like, uh, and then it goes into this third arrangement in in the course of like a fairly song, fairly short song it, you know it gets really spare towards the end with just drums vocals and an acoustic so you know th- this fucking couple minute long rock song has three separate arrangements and then goes back into the first one as a coda and like at first i was like my god that's complicated on its own and then i, I started thinking like well how many fucking indie songs have a coda at all you know like well, not, not very many. Either. Right. Like, Usually it's the verse, chorus, verse. Like, it's just so, I don't know. It's impressive how weird she's willing to get. Or not even weird, just, you know. I mean, I, I guess I look at more less as weird and more of, as a function of craftsmanship. Yeah, that like is. Song craft. Like that, it, one of the things that, and if you listen to the first season, this is apparent, but one of the things that, that I always find interesting is when people people are able to make music by using their voice and pronouncing pronouncing a word differently or or using tempo yeah uh, to to make the word sound different like I think I think that's just really cool that people are able to do that because I think about mm-hmm. if I was you know I, I don't think it's a big secret that I can't sing to save my life but I feel like it would be one. You know, like it'd be one vocal approach. Yeah. Um, and the the cool thing about this is that she she's able to really blend different styles. Like I think it's the next song where where kind of the like the callback after the verses is her singing, um, her singing a different song. Yeah. Her singing a different. She's singing "Watch My Watch Your Step." Yeah. In a softer voice, so it's kind of it plays against the the verse i think it's interesting too talking about just the way she sings i really i appreciate this thing she does in this one where she like she enunciates the words very well you know she's not mush mouthing it but then it's mixed so the lyrics aren't that far forward so you could almost experience this as just like an instrumental song where the voice is an instrument just like spitting out syllables and then occasionally saying paint the black hole blacker um, I don't know. It's just I, I like that. Like I guess I, it, it gives you this way to deal with the song structurally without like getting into you know what the lyrics mean. Um, yeah, that's that's cool. It's just a good reprieve from someone who grew up listening to essentially listening to classic rock until they were like thirteen. Yeah, and then listening to early alternative. Oh, uh, you know, like this is just something it's one of those cool kind of later in life things that I don't know if I had listened to it when I was 16, if I would have gotten it. Yeah. It's a, uh, you know, contrast like Eddie Vedder belting it out to what she's doing here. You know, it's two very different things. Uh, I, so there is a flip side to that and I, I had this marked for a later song, but it really kind of applies definitely to the first two. Like the one, the one weakness with the way she's singing, I think, is I feel like at this stage in the game, at least, there's a lot of reserve in her voice. You know, like, it it's not that she's not trying, but it doesn't feel like there's a lot of... Well, okay, so in the whole Uncle Tupelo season, I kept talking about the thing where Jeff Tweedy sounds best when he sings like he's desperate. She does not sound desperate here. She sounds, you know, like she's... She sounds like a competent craftsman. And that that sounds like a put-down, and I don't mean it that way, but she's not singing like her guts are on the line right here. I don't think it's hard to do that, though. Like, you don't just... I mean, some yeah. people do, maybe, but you don't just... It's hard to put yourself out there and put all that emotion into your into your songs. Yeah. Or, and I think she gets there eventually. For sure. But... Oh, so... In the background for the album, did you? I mean, you you, you saw all the stuff, the 
the creation myth she put out. I don't know if it's actually a myth. Um, the creation story she put out. Do you think that's a product of working with uh, Sufjan Stevens? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> you know. Um, you know. So this one, she has the the whole story about uh, she was blocked, so she was watching movies without the you know without the soundtrack and like writing to that. And I always kind of don't trust stories like that, but this song. At least to me, like the quiet parts, especially. So this sounds like the soundtrack to a Disney movie without sound. Um, maybe that story isn't bullshit. Yeah, is she? Is she mentioned that? Is it? Is she said it's true or not true? I, I don't know if she's gone back and readdressed it, but everything I've seen that was contemporary to this, like she was going around telling everybody that that was. You know, so at the very least, that was her story then, and she was sticking to it. Yeah, I mean, for me, this is just this is just a personality flaw. But I mean, if people kept asking me the same question over and over again, I would totally make up different right. stories to, because I would just get tired of it. Like, I just uh, I can't imagine what that's like to, to have. And I guess we're guilty of it here, but to have people you don't know kind of nitpicking your yeah. nitpicking your stuff has got to be kind of annoying. Yeah. And that makes me wonder, you had, you talked about how the lyrics for this are dark and describe like a rough day. You know, just right now in your gut without overthinking it, do you feel like the speaker in that song is Annie Clark recounting that she had a bad day or is that a character that she wrote just like telling us about a fictional bad day? Honestly, I have no idea, uh, but it could be either. Yeah. Right? Like, because I think everyone has had those sort of emotions, right? Like, yeah. like you know, I look at the line where it says, "You showed up with a black eye, looking to finish a fight." That's a like it's a, it's a really good line. And yeah. I mean, I think everyone has had that experience, you know, whether it's with you know, someone they're in a relationship with or or someone they work with that they feel like you know, like. Like this person's gonna, this person's gonna have a fight with me, regardless of what I say. <laughs> that's, that's a foregone conclusion. Yeah, no, but I mean, so I, I just I brought that up because, like, that's to me, like, I never know with her, and that's that's, you know, like, uh, I, there are musicians. I don't know. Most musicians fall into one or the other, where like you know, you know, they're telling a story, or you know, they are telling you what happened. Um, with her, I'm never sure, and and that's kind of awesome. Yes, yeah, like it's, it's part of the part of the intrigue, I guess. Yeah, it's, it's I don't know if if you think about it though, all if all musicians were were speaking from the first person, like they'd be signing up for some pretty dastardly stuff. Yeah. Well, I'm never able to get out of this shadow, but um, you know. Jeff Tweedy, all the way through Uncle Tupelo, it was very clearly just like, hey, I'm Jeff, let me tell you, let me sing about my life. And the early Wilco albums, you know, he's pretty clearly doing the same thing. And then uh, when it got to Summer Teeth, there's the song about, the song that ends with uh, his wife is begging him not to hit her. And like, it became a thing then that people are like, oh God, Jeff Tweedy is always telling us, you know, his songs are always these simple things from his life. What the fuck is he telling us? And like, I remember reading things where the rest of the band had to be like, no, 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 that's a character. That's, that is not Jeff saying that he beats his wife. Um, and okay. Side note, like that was kind of a weird thing to put the music anyway. It was, it was a but, strange one, but uh, I don't know. I guess like that is a pitfall that can happen if, people think you're always singing from the first person is that if you deviate from that people are like what yeah i mean you you would interpret you know neil young having no concept of history <laughs> cortez the killer or I think after that's the true. gold rush like i read a really interesting thing about neil young once where uh some friend of his was talking about how like excuse me was talking about how he gets you know He's a very passionate guy. Everything he writes is just about whatever he's passionate about at that moment. But he has a very short attention span. And so what happens with songs like Cortez the Killer or 
most of his songs is he'll just see something on like CNN or, you know, read a book about the Incas and get pissed off. Um, you know, and like, we'll write these great songs based on like five minutes of knowing something and being pissed about it. So it's, it's different, but it's, it's not totally dissimilar from the way that Trump tweets, right? Like, uh, right. Like, I was thinking that as I was talking, that's, like he just happens upon something that comes across Fox News, and that, yeah. not that I'm comparing Neil Young and Donald Trump, but well, <laughs> so that's this weird thing where like the, the same basic process can get you like a magnificent body of musical work, or just like a steaming pile of shit yeah. that takes society down. It's uh, yeah, that's that's actually kind of troubling to, to, yeah. to know. Hopefully, that's an exaggeration. Uh, yeah, I I hope so. He, but on the other hand, like that is about the level of historical accuracy present in Cortez the Killer. Yeah, I feel like uh, I, I feel like he was late to something when he came up with the like refrain <laughs> to that. When he's like, "All right, I got to wrap this up. What am I going to go?" And then he's just like, "How about what a killer?" <laughs> That's still better than the Jamaican like Jama- bad Jamaican voice. Very bad, man. Very bad. Like that. I think when you got that many songs, though, they're not all going to be gold. Yeah. Even that song is still a solid 85% gold. Yeah, no, it's it's got a lot of good parts. It's just, just don't view it in the lens of actual <laughs> history. Oh, well, so dragging it back to uh, The Strangers. Anything yeah. more on The Strangers? Or? No, I think I'm, I'm ready to talk about Save Me From What I Want. All right, let's take a quick break and come back in. Track two, Save Me From What I Want. I, I mistyped it here. I have the song title is just Save Me What I Want, which would be a different song. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting how one word like drastically changes the message yeah. of that song if you omit it. So um, I don't know why this always sticks with me. And this is like, this is, this could not be less St. Vincent. But I always remember this interview with Sammy Hagar where he talks about how like all of his lyrics actually come from other people's lyrics that he either misheard or like wrote down the wrong way or misunderstood. Um, and, uh, you know, I could relate to Sammy Hagar in that moment. When can't you relate to Sammy Hagar? Uh, Sammy Hagar is a maligned man. He, uh, does he still have his tequila? Is that I, I, I So... I haven't been able to find it, um, and I kind of gave up looking because our household has converted to the George Clooney tequila, which is really good. Interesting. Yeah. Do you, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, we went to a Bottle Rocket show at the 400 Bar, and Brian Henneman, who's the lead singer of the Bottle Rockets, is, is like, hey, do you guys have that Sammy Hagar tequila here? Like, Just bring me the bottle. Leave it on stage. Man, that would be... You know you've arrived when you can do that. I was pretty far back, but I, I don't think they actually brought up the bottle. <laughs> Fuckers. Rounding it back up. Save me from what I want. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think of this one? I really like it. Uh, and, I mean, I kind of teased this earlier, but I, I think this is a, a great example of, of kind of using the tempo of a word to to make it sound different. So for, So she uses the word watercolors. And she kind of drags out the word water for like an extra beat. Yeah. And then makes up the difference on the back end with the colors. Yeah. So it just, it creates this really cool effect that, that you wouldn't even, I wouldn't even think to do. Like, and, and what's she saying there? It's like, I'm a wife in watercolors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could wash away. Yeah. We, we just had the whole debate. Like, is this her talking or is this a character? This song, like, that line makes me feel like, okay, we're hearing a story here. Like, as far as I know, she's not married. So we're hearing a story here. And I read it as a story about a secluded housewife who's worried about running off with some guy or, you know, hooking up with some guy who she shouldn't, who's, you know, like, who would upend her life. Um, yeah, I mean, part of that is the is the the title, right? Save yeah. me from what I want. Exactly. Which I think I couldn't find this this explicitly spelled out, 
but I think it's based on this piece of conceptual art that she really? references. It's actually called Protect Me From What I Want. Okay. By an artist named Jenny Holzer. Okay. Because um, she cites Jenny Holzer in her work as a source of inspiration a number of times, and she has this this relatively famous piece of performance or uh, conceptual art that just says protect me from what I want. What, uh, like what, what's the, it's a, it's a sign that lights up that says protect me from what I want. Interesting. Um, and I actually like it better as save me from what I want because I find that like extra perplexing. You know, so what's wild, like you just brought Brian Henneman in to talk about tequila, but there's a, there's, that really good bottle rocket song that's about um, I got what I wanted and I lost what I had. That's not Coffee Monkey. <laughs> you hate Coffee Monkey. I do hate Coffee Monkey because that is a terrible song. Uh, sidebar there. No, but it's interesting to me that like um, I, I think that Henneman song actually is weirdly like at least expressing the same sentiment as, as this song, even though he's like this completely different musician. Uh, who who I need to stop dragging into the show because he's not otherwise very relevant. Yeah, I don't know. This I this is this is a really good song. I like the uh, I like the drum part on this. Like it just this is I guess I'm in you know I'm in I'm in year two now of really appreciating expressive good drumming and this uh, it's just like it the the drums are telling their own little like rhythm story here which sounds really dorky as i say it but you know they have their own thing where like i uh one of the times i listened through this i was just like locked in on the drums the whole time and like it was kind of a fun experience and like the the way they mess up or yeah you know, the way they're treated and kind of popping in and out at the end feels to me like an allusion to i am trying to break your heart you know I, again like dragging jeff tweedy into this but i that's really what it sounds like and really you're dragging you're Dragging Doug Sam into it, right? I am no, trying to break your Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, that is definitely Jeff Tweedy. Yeah. And I forgot the, the drummer Glenn Kochke. Kochke, is it? I don't know. Whoever the second Wilco drummer was. Which is, uh, there's a timeline thing there that weirds me out, too. Um, that this album, so this album's 10 years old now. And if you say it that way, that seems old. But it's also that makes it new enough for Yankee Hotel Foxtrot to have been like something that the musicians had heard. I don't know. It's just, it's tough to like place things. There's this stretch of the past. <laughs> it's tough to figure out well, like how far past is that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, it's, it's, that's kind of in the gray area too, because it's, it's definitely pre, well, is it pre iTunes or not? When did iTunes come out? Um, there were, I think the iPod debuted in, oh, I think, oh, four. Okay. Oh, five. Yeah. So, I mean, I feel like that's, for at least for me, that was sort of the the sea change moment. Yeah. Is when, when music started to be proliferated digitally more than uh, via CD. Yeah. But that's kind of where, that's kind of where I, that's my demarcation line. That makes sense. But I mean, I guess that's more of a function of distribution and not of art. Yeah, but there, there's an artistic side to it too, because the production went from analog to digital close to the same time, like not exactly the same. And I don't, I don't know. I, I think like none of what she does here, songwriting, would. I mean, it'd be possible analog, but it would be. Just the process of writing songs structured the way she writes them, and then recording them like you obviously could do it in an analog studio because people did it but it would be so fucking expensive to rehearse it up and get you know take and take and take and take and take yeah you'd get like pet sounds or something yeah um yeah which you know sure so then they were clearly it was possible in the 60s but it was expensive as a motherfucker and you couldn't be this like yeah you had to be the beach boys yeah exactly I don't think Mop the Hoople was afforded the same recording budget. Really, I just wanted to say Mop the Hoople. Mop the Hoople. I... It brings it back to the David Bowie. Exactly. And, like, I can never, ever figure out... So, like, you know, I've read in a bunch of places that 
all the young dudes exists because Mott the Hoople was Bowie's favorite band yeah. somehow. And, you know, he wanted to help him out. How the fuck were they David Bowie's favorite band? What? Yeah, I mean, I think all... I mean, everyone has their own their own tastes. It's uh, true enough. It's kind of like the uh, like the stand up uh, comedians that all the comedians like. Or when I listen to them, they, they sound insufferable. <laughs> yeah, you got to be on the inside, man. Uh, coming back to uh, save me from what I want. There, this is not. A, a thing that I expected to hear listening to this, but when I was you know, listening to it close with headphones, um, in the verse parts, there's this weird, there's a guitar part going that it sounds like the edge playing. And that's not a way that I have ever described any other part that of hers that I've heard. Uh, it's just, in, it, it's interesting to me how she'll like, she brings all these different things at you. Yeah. I mean, she just, it, it, it's, it's rare that you have somebody who's that good at guitar that doesn't that that has that much restraint. Yeah, and the restraint is a big thing. Did you happen to see very recently Rolling Stone had this thing where she and uh, Kirk Hammett from Metallica interviewed each other? So really, they just they talked, and then like Rolling Stone published the transcript. But she talked about how when she was young, she played violin. And she quit playing the violin because she couldn't play Metallica on it. And she wanted to, wanted to learn to play Metallica guitar. And, and yeah, so. so we have Kirk Hammett to thank for this somehow. Yeah, it's probably the only thing that I've been thankful for <laughs> Kirk Hammett for. That I can think of, that I know so far. Did you ever, did you ever see the, uh, so like, I, I think Metallica sucks, but did you ever see the movie um, Some Kind of Monster? The only part of that I've seen is the bass audition. Okay. With uh, with the guy from Suicidal Tendencies. Yeah. Then it's a, it's a good movie. Like, it's really, you know, the shit-ass music aside, it's just, it's an interesting look at, like, what it's like to be in this band that, you know, they've succeeded, but they all still feel like shit and they, you know, financially have to make music, but they don't really have anything to say. I, you know, it's just, it's, there's, there's all kinds of good shit in there. Yeah. I just remember they brought in because I think their bass player had quit. Yeah. So they, they auditioned all these. And so it's like the process of them choosing a new bass player and, like weirdly, like Les Claypool was on their list, which would seem like a bad fit. Yes. Um, yeah, but it's a bit fascinating. Yeah, it's a good movie. You know, so Les Claypool's a good example. So we keep talking about how Annie Clark is great at guitar, but that she knows how to restrain it. And like Les Claypool is this great example of what happens if you're really good at an instrument and have no restraint at all. Yeah, and I mean, and you write songs that are called like Winona's Big Brown Beaver. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's that too. <laughs> I mean, I guess it's a, it's no like I like the replacements, and they they have that song. Gary's got a boner. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, but <laughs> yeah, and, and how weird is that 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 is on the same album? Like like a track or two later, they're doing Androgynous, and they're like, um, no, but. This, <sighs> Winona's Big Brown Beaver does make me think, too. Um, I, I remember reading this thing with Frank Zappa, where he was talking about how you know the eternal like struggle of his life was that he wanted to be taken really seriously as a musical thinker, you know, and a composer, and like you know he want, he didn't want to just be a rock guitarist. He wanted to be like this great musical mind, and then he would just write songs, you know, called like "My Guitar Wants to Kill Your Mama." That's a great song, by the way. It is. The Muffin Man, you know, like, well, like Muffin Man, not as much. He's just like always undermined by his own stupid song titles. I don't know. Yeah, it's. I guess it's hard. Like I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't discount the. I try not to take myself too seriously, so I shouldn't expect other people to. You know, like there, there has to be some level of whimsy. It's a balance. Yeah, I well. I don't remember what it was. A friend of mine was translating 
There's apparently some Mozart title that is, you know, scatological and filthy and stupid if you speak German. But so the stupid titles go way back, is what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure it's a universal, universal problem. Yeah. But I, I do think though this this track is is a good example of like all the different song craft that she brings to the table. You know, you've got the you, you've got her own singing refrain that's that's playing off each of the verses. You've got the you've got the really well uh, well crafted lyrics that tell you that tell you a story. Um, you know, you've got the timing issue, and you've got it. Just it's a song that really that really makes me think. Yeah. When you know when I listen to it, like what, like if you think about that, save me from what I want. That's you know, like that's that's something that you could chew on for quite some time. Absolutely, yeah. And I, I like that. You know, th- th- this is again a really busy song. Like, there's a lot of parts that fit together. You know, like the mechanisms of a watch, but it, it doesn't feel as rigid as the stuff on "Marry Me" did. Like, it feels more like a human fucking with some machinery instead of just machinery forever. And that that makes I don't know that that makes it all just go into your head a little bit easier. I like how this this one is verse, chorus, verse, chorus, and another coda. But each one, like I, even that, it's just kind of weirdly done so that each of those sections feels long enough that it it doesn't feel like the verse, chorus of a pop song. It feels like, you know, here's this movement, and now we're going to go to this movement. And I don't know. She, It's like she's playing a different game that's adjacent to the one we're used to. And it's yeah, really it's, a, cool. it's a really good song. Yeah. And I, I, this is another one, too, where, I, again, I feel like the vocals are a little bit buried. I don't know if she was just conscious of her singing voice or if this was, like, a producing bias that she and Congleton had. But, like, I, I feel like the vocals aren't... You can hear them if you try, but they're not, like, out in front again. They're, like, they, they're, again, they're just they're mixed like an instrument, and you can decipher them or not depending on how you feel until you get to the chorus and then that's right there i don't know what i got with that that's just that's a factual observation that's just math that's right you gotta i got a chart and a graph right here uh anything else on save me what i want i don't think so let's uh let's take a break I when I first the first time I listened to this album saw there was a song The Neighbors and I got excited because I thought she had covered Jonathan Richmond's song The Neighbors and she definitely did not do that <laughs> that is not what's going on here so if you had if you had one Jonathan Richmond song that you would want to hear covered by St. Vincent would it be The Neighbors The Neighbors would be pretty good but I would love to hear her take on Lesbian Bar. Dancing in the Lesbian Bar? God, I mean, that's such a fucking great song. I don't know. I feel like Roadrunner would be my... Well, yeah. I guess you have Joan Jett saying that, though. Yeah, who, how, who's going to cover it better? Right. I don't know. That's a high bar. I, the Neighbors is good. I mean, well, both of the Neighbors is good. Um, are good. I Of the three... Songs from Actor that we're covering tonight. I think, like, I liked the first two. This one is my favorite, I think. This uh, this one, actually, to me, this sounds much more like the musician that I like, you know, as St. Vincent. Like, this one isn't, oh, I hear some potential. This one is like, hey, here's this. Here's the person you like doing the stuff that you like. And I, I'm just I'm happy to hear it. I, uh, I like it because it's like... I don't know. It feels to me like some kind of like uh, some like twisted take on a Tom Waits song or something. Yeah. Like it's this, it's this intricate story that that uh, you know, like that's that's what I like about like the old Tom Waits songs or the like the weird like you know this sort of like universe that Tom Waits has created. Yeah. But that's what I get here. Like you know, like let's pour wine in coffee cups and drive around the neighborhood. <laughs> you know, like that's like. Let's get up to some stuff. <laughs> Tom Waits, I suppose, is another guy who's just like basically a short story writer who puts them to music and uh, and and 
than choose on gravel to make his voice work. I uh, oh, I don't know. To me, like just on the musical side, this song is really interesting to me. Like I, I don't know that I've ever heard distortion applied to an orchestral bass drum, but I I think that's what is happening here, and it sounds really fucking cool. Yeah, it's it again. It's just it's. I, I feel like her her level of craftsmanship just blows me away. Yeah, there's there's a. I, I noticed like when she's singing, her vocal melody is doubling another like of those you know airy ethereal keyboards. She's I I don't know which was recorded first, but she and the keyboard are singing the same notes at the same time all the way through, and like just sure if you can do that why not do that I, that's gotta be really hard to do i would think i may i mean like I, I i guess i'm coming to this as a person who you know i can't read music um my entire theory of singing is based on like making up a melody and hoping i can sing it keep it in key maybe if you are a person who sings from sheet music maybe it's not that hard maybe you know you just write it out but but you know on on my music illiterate side it just seems like fucking wizardry it's like oh my god she can do that i do think if you ever start a uh, saint vincent tribute band <laughs> psychotropic capricorns would be a good name for it would be a good name for it i'm a capricorn so boom wow um god it's so so much cool stuff here i like so this song, we talked a little bit in the first song how it, uh, you know, it was quiet and then like the loud guitar and drums like elbowed their way in. This one goes back and forth between quiet parts and freak out parts and, you know, does it repeatedly. And that made me realize how much that just that type of dynamics has been missing from everything of hers we've listened to so far. You know, like that's this tool in the drawer that she didn't use at all on marry me and you know it's not really there as a back and forth thing in the you know like, like the way the pixies did um it's it's good to see like okay yeah you can use dynamics all the way through the song and go back and forth i don't know yeah i mean that's one of the things i like i, I like about music it's just the is structural like that where you can just you know, your brain kind of gets set, like, okay, this is what it's going to be, and then something comes in and just jars you. To... Yeah. You get, like, a pleasant surprise. Yeah. I also like the the chorus, and I don't know if you if you noted this as well, but it's, it's kind of interesting the way it's structured, right? Because it says the first line is, what would your mother say? Yeah. And then what would your father do? And then what would the neighbors think? It's just kind of like, it's like, okay, here are all these, here are all these people that are trying to corral you. And yeah. I, I do find it interesting that it's, what would your mother say? And what would your father do? That is, I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of implications right behind that. Yeah. It's sort of the, it's, uh, but yeah, I just, I really, uh, I, I really like, uh, I really like kind of the the intellectual exercise that her songs provide. Yeah, that's she's that that's a good way to put it. She is really good at that. And and there's a musical side component to that too. Like I noticed, so I had this thing, or I was preparing for the show where it bothered me that like I could remember impressions of all three of these songs, but I couldn't remember like, like I couldn't hum them on the spot. You know, I couldn't say like, yeah, this one is like da da da. Um, and I was worried, like, well, does that mean that I'm just, you know, did I not pay enough attention? And then I started, you know, when I went back and listened, I realized, like, all three of these songs, but especially this one, like, carry the melody in these really long lines, like these long strings of notes that are way longer and just kind of more cerebral than indie rock usually is. Yeah, and I, so I think, like, the trade-off is that keeps you from being able to, to hum it but it does like give you this bigger more intense thing that you can like put your brain on and i don't know that's a cool thing you know it, it's the exact opposite of paul westerberg saying i hate music it's got too many notes <laughs> did, <laughs> did he say that before? is that post replacements yeah no that's that's one of the first replacements saying that's uh i hate music oh, yeah, right, yeah. it's got too many notes 
I wonder if that's a that's just a function of age, though. Like, yeah, that was like, you know, like there's a there's a certain degree of immaturity that you have to accept if you're going to listen to the replacements. Calculated snottiness. Yeah, yeah. I, I I feel like the the musicality, like these like these long melodic lines. I feel like it is a strength and a weakness because like it, it really like that maybe makes this not easy hangout music all the time, but. Not everything has to be easy hangout music. Yeah, I mean, um, I think about yeah, like what, you know, like let's let's explore that a little bit. Like, what do you think is easy hangout music? Well, so the weird thing, like, I, like Bell and Sebastian or something. Well, like Bell and Sebastian is good easy hangout music. Um, I actually I feel like her so mass seduction might be like I could see just you know like. You're hanging out. You got people coming over. You're hanging out. You could put that on in the background and, like, it's, you know, just an album in the background. Um, no other album of hers would I do that. And, you know, like, in kind of increasingly, the further back you go, the less inclined I would right. be to do that. Um, you know, like, like, honestly, most of the Replacements albums, I'd sure put that on. Because I think about, like, I think about like something like the Kings of Convenience album, oh, yeah. which I which I really like, but like I feel like I I don't I like them more in principle than because I, I like I don't know if I could distinguish what I like about one song versus another. Yeah, it's so you know subdued. Well, there's this thing where like I I think that like there's this thing where if something is really different from everything else that you listen to then like just the overwhelming difference of that form is is what you notice and so like then you know you can't get like the fine grained dif- differences between songs even if that makes sense like it, it's why like when people you know people who listen to rock their entire lives and then they hear a couple of rap albums they can't you know they're like it all sounds the same and it all sounds the same because all they hear is the difference from that to the baseline of what they're used to. You know, and like a lot of times those same people can be like, oh no, well, you know, when Brian Johnson took over singing for ACDC, it was completely different because his voice is, you know, like they can like catch these like nuances within what they're used to, but. Just to, just a quick aside to that, do you remember the local ACDC? Uh, tribute band TNT. Was that the one that had like a separate Brian? It's correct. It's correct that two singers, one for the one for the Bon Scott songs and one for the Brian Johnson song. That is that's the only way to do it. Like it would be fraud to do otherwise. I I just I, I always appreciated that that was like like that was their level of commitment. <laughs> it, like we're gonna hire. And, and I don't even know what the economics look like of being in it, of being the Twin Cities foremost ACDC <laughs> tribute band, but but like they had to pay another they had to pay another guy. <laughs> they had to split whatever small sum of money they were getting by another person <laughs> in order to have this completest view of the ACDC catalog. You know, you got to commit. Anything else is disrespect. I'm just thrilled that we were able to thematically appropriately go from the Kings of Convenience to ACDC and, you know, and have it hold up. Yeah, in, in a very, just like two moves. Yeah, no degrees of distinction. Oh, so going back into The Neighbors, this is the one, like, I, I've appreciated the drumming on all of the songs here. Uh, this is the one that I appreciate it the most, and I, I this is where I made a note. Like Mackenzie Smith is the name of the drummer. Honestly, not sure if that's a man. Or, I had a, had been assuming that was a woman, but I think it's a guy. It's a guy. Mackenzie Smith is a good fucking drummer. Yeah, is, is what I'll say. Um, it's just it's really like expressive. It's not you know locked in wrote like it's it carries the beat, but it I don't know. It's really well done. I guess as I get older, I think there's a lot more nuance in percussion than I than I would have thought there was when I was when I was in my early twenties. I think it's easy to think like the job of percussion is to kick ass, and that that's a job, but that shouldn't be the only job. 
I think it's interesting that Annie Clark is, you know, legitimately just this genius instrumentalist who will play. She's got this giant stable of instruments that she'll play, but drums aren't one of them. Um, it's just fascinating to me that, that drums are such their own thing that, you know, that she knows. Like, okay, bring in a specialist for that. Yeah, I wonder, I, I guess I don't know how that works. I wonder if, if you're recording at a studio, like, do they have, like, a, a stable of musicians that they can bring in for you to... I assume it changes from situation to situation, whether they're attached to the studio or if they like the producer knows people. You know, in this case, like, yeah, I mean, I don't know if Mackenzie Smith was just someone she knew or. I remember reading a thing about uh, Booker T and the MGs, how they were just, they were stacks as, you know, in that case, they were attached to the studio. They were just like. Stacks as house musicians, um, and then you could just go in and just like if you're going to record there and you need bass, you get Donald Duck done. Nice. Um, From Blues Brothers fame. Yeah, I, I, I a big chunk of the Blues Brothers band were Booker T and the MGs. It's it's weird. That's uh, they always talk about uh, like the Swampers too in uh, Muscle Shoals. Oh yeah, yeah. That like that uh, like that kind of sort of muscle shoals rhythm section yeah i assume that it's you got to be a pretty i don't know i was gonna say that yeah probably have to be a pretty established studio to have like the house musicians but really it's all just people so probably not like probably anybody who cares enough to own a studio is gonna have some friends who play instruments and that's i assume how it starts out yeah, that'd be interesting to, to kind of look behind the curtain. I would. When we both go back to grad school for music appreciation, that can be our, our joint thesis project. Um, so looking through my notes here, I've got this last note that just says, maybe this is projection, but this whole song, to me, feels like someone with a very tightly wound nature straining you know, that against like big emotions inside them that are trying to bust out. And, you know, like, I feel like that's, to me, that's this song that's also kind of St. Vincent in a nutshell. Like, you know, album to album, the percentages change a little bit, but that's that's what the entire project feels like. Yeah, I I guess that wasn't the read I had on it, but I, I, I get really? that. What? I, I get that read now that you say it. What, um, what was yours? I mean, mine was just sort of, just sort of this sort of, like, rejection of authority yeah i can see that um which i guess maybe is the same thing um but uh but i feel like you you had a much deeper and more mm. more cogent uh analysis of it than i did I, I i was really just trying to turn it into spock you know in coded fashion working it all comes back to spock <laughs> yeah <laughs> to be honest that is basically what i got uh, yeah i mean i think we just need a dune reference and we can fill up the bingo board <laughs> i wish i had something i got yeah, nothing, I got nothing okay the song is about a person who is in need of bene Gesserit training to control their animal nature and become a full human being and honestly i would fucking if you could ask me to pick any artist to do like a rock opera about the Bene Gesserit, Annie Clark, all the way. Yeah, or Dune. Yeah. Just fuck, fuck all these attempts to make a movie out of it. Let's just have the rock opera. You know, I, I'm not sure that would, I, I think that would be better. That might be. <laughs> okay. I don't know. We'll have to pitch that. Yeah. Workshop that a little bit. Let's work up a PowerPoint. Uh, well, should we wrap her up? Yeah, it sounds good. Right on. Thank you for uh, thank you for listening to all of this. I am Keith. You can find me on Twitter at Keith Pilly. And I'm Chad. You can find me on Twitter at Cook6252. And, uh, you know, please, like, if you got anything to say, we would love to hear from you. Uh, talk about the show. Talk about... Dune or Neil Young or um, Frank Zappa's song titles. I don't know. We Anything. We want to hear it, no matter what it is. If you dug the show, please tell people about it. Uh, you know, Tell the St. Vincent fans in your life. 
or uh, go to iTunes or Google Play or I don't think Spotify lets you rate or review podcasts, but if there's some mechanism where they do, do that. Um, that stuff helps people find the show because the more of that there is, the more the algorithms recommend us and uh, we got to suck up to the algorithms. Anyway, thanks, and uh, we'll talk to you again soon as we uh, dig deeper into actor. <laughs>